Greetings, Commanders. It's Station Commander Alan Stroud. They've wheeled me back in. I don't know why, because of the fact that I am completely Commander Clueless when it comes to power play, which we're going to talk about tonight. However, it appears Foz has lost his voice, so whilst he might have some experience and actually know anything about what we're going to talk about, unfortunately, he wouldn't be able to talk about it. So joining me tonight, we have, well... The stalwarts of the team, I would say, at the moment. We have the man who has proved himself so far this evening as being Commander Interruption. That would be Ben Moss Hi, Woodward. how you doing? <laughs> and the commander who, you know, knows that essentially I am going to revisit an old joke, rehash it, put it in a slightly different way. It's Commander Paid Telephone Line, Colin Ford. Oh, a paid telephone line now. Okay, <laughs> fair enough then. It's better than being called the Midnight Caller, like the last lot of people at, in the late radio chat. Uh, and then finally, he'll get the reference. It's probably not meant in the most obvious way. It's meant in the second most obvious way. So I'll say it and then explain it. We have Commander Great Scott, Psycho Cow. Good evening. Mm, there's two. It depends which one you go for first. I was going for the Back to the Future version because currently your um, situation with your computer and the festooning wires and everything else that appears to go on at the moment with regards to your incredibly complicated uh, computer setup, I, I kind of think that Doc from Back to the Future is kind of your your bag. Well, outside of that, was a reference to my abracadrabble crown that I made that looks remarkably <laughs> like some kind of mind-reading device. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I don't know who's Marty McFly to, to your Doc Brown, but um, certainly at the moment, I, I you know, I, I have images of those breakfast-making machines and, uh, and everything else. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, obviously you're on top of it. Um, if people can hear us, you're on top of it. So things should all be fine. So, anyway... Yeah. Only one slight problem. Where do you think you can afford a DeLorean? Oh, yeah, I, you know, I guess that, that gull-winged... Uh, I'm sure Grant can afford a DeLorean. I'd just go use a Metro. <laughs> a gull-winged Metro. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Robin Reliant. I, I, I'm sure a gull-winged Metro would fly, to be honest. I think you could waggle those doors and it would, it's, <laughs> you know, fair amount lighter than a DeLorean. <laughs> Flying across the coast in a gull-winged metro. That's that's quite, a, quite an image. Anyway, I think we should probably talk about Elite Dangerous. That's why we're here. So this is episode 65. Um, it seems like not very long ago that we were we were sort of in episode 3, episode 4, um, that we were two years ago in, in Lavecon back in Wiltshire. And, of course, we are now approaching our third Lavecon, which uh, won't be that long away, only a month. We have a feature on tonight to... Uh, hopefully entertain you and give you a bit more information about some of the content. But first of all, we're going to go through most of the stuff that we usually go through. And we've got a lot to talk about because, you know, there's power play. There's a whole new expansion. Lots of stuff to talk about about it. Being Commander Clueless, I have not played power play. I have just managed to log in this evening. So I'm hoping that the expertise of my fellow commanders is going to help me out and get me through. Talk to me about the things that... Maybe I haven't noticed. Maybe that uh, I don't even know anything about. Uh, and then we can we can kind of discuss that, see what some of the best tips, worst tips, some of the things that aren't uh, in the, the release that were in beta, etc., etc. So 
we're going to be outside Lave Station. I'm currently sat in Lave Station like a cowdy cowdy custard. And uh, everybody else is going to be outside, hopefully. Um, are we going in private or open, gentlemen? We're all um, open. Yeah, we're uh, all in open. We're all, all open, open all the time. Ah, I see. Okay. So we're loose, flexible, and open. Um, I think that's probably best because uh, I've never joined Foz's group because he doesn't like me, really. Um, and you can see us in the IRC channel. And uh, uh, obviously, we're we're available on the QuakeNet uh, uh, sort of thing that's that's underneath the live stream. So yeah, if you want to to talk to us there, um, we're also keeping a tab on the Twitter account, and we'll also try to keep a tab on the Facebook account as things go through. Um, we'll also try and answer any messages that we're given in game. Although, bear in mind, if you start messaging me, I really do struggle with the message panel because I still haven't figured out all the controls of it. So what tends to happen is I end up pressing a button or two, and I crash. Um, so if I don't reply, it's probably because I've activated the engines and done something stupid. Okay, so we're going to go through and go and talk about some of the things that are going on. And to start with, I guess we've got to pretty much talk about the development, talk about the, the elements of power play and the other bits and pieces. But the way Ben's laid everything out really nicely for me is to start with the Diamondback. Um, any reason, Ben? Because that came first. Uh, ah, okay. So the Diamondback came out first in the, the beta or straight into Just the... Just purely chronological order, and that was first thing that caught my eye in beta 7 or 8 or whatever it was. Okay, so it came out first because it caught your eye. I understand. So It's shiny. Have... We like new ships. Okay. And we, did, and we did talk about the Imperial Courier too much last week. Oh, oh okay, <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. So we have two versions of the Diamondback. Now, for people that don't know the history... Um, and, you know, recalling a little bit of the, the circumstances of LaveCon 2013, the Diamondback was the ship originally that was cancelled. Um, it was the ship that featured in the pirate base artwork that was given out at, uh, at LaveCon 2013. And certainly from that image, the, the image that we now have in-game is very different. A uh, lot lot boxier, lot lot less um, you know, less curvy, less less sleek. And we've got two versions. We've got an explorer and we've got a scout. So guys, what do you find out about these guys? I don't know, but I'm just looking I've walked over left my computer, I'm sitting free fall, so please don't shoot me. And I'm looking at that image that Michael Brooks signed from LaveCon twenty thirteen and I'm like, oh my gosh because I never knew any of this. You didn't know that that it was there in 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 twenty thirteen. I didn't know it was a. I didn't know that it was the Diamondback. I was that's, just like, that's that's yeah, it's that's a pretty the, ship. Yeah, that's the original concept art for the Diamondback. Now, yeah. um, it was dropped. So um, when the authors got their pre-release packs of what ships were going to feature in the game, uh, and we got that so that you know so that we could write some scenes that featured them, uh, we were informed not to use the Diamondback because it was not going to feature in the final list. And oh. then here you go. We have two versions, and they're, they, you know, they're pretty much entirely different to the way in which that ship looked. Um, so, so, yeah, what do you think about it? Anybody flown one? Yeah, I've flo- I've, well, I've flown both versions in the, in the beta, uh, okay. and I actually like them. Um, they are very, well, the Scout specifically is very manoeuvrable, and is very heavily armed. Not as heavily armed as a Vulture, but um, that is reflected in its price point. Uh, they are very cheap ships. They're cheaper than a Cobra, and uh, to be honest, they're well worth the money. It, it's the, it kind of fills in that little bit of a gap 
between a viper, well, get it, getting to uh, a viper and a cobra, that, that kind of area. And uh, it's got plenty of firepower, plenty of uh, jump range, especially if the, the Explorer. But it is restricted in its modules. Okay, so um, would you say then Cobra comparable? Um, yeah, ooh, I would say slightly worse than the Cobra. This is one thing that I've, I've been discovering lately, is I like the way that the Frontier have actually balanced the game. So far, we haven't had a ship come in that has completely replaced the functionality of an existing ship. So a Cobra is slightly better than a Diamondback. Uh, and they could have easily made it better and just made the Cobra redundant. So does it essentially make, um, you know, is it a step, you know, essentially, you know, a tiny step down from the Cobra then? is, Or does it just do different things? Well, I would say... Uh, the Explorer is kind of on level with the Cobra, but that's only if you want to do exploring. I reckon the Cobra is still the best um, all-round ship so far in the game. For maybe. its price. For yeah. its price, maybe, but yeah. then, you know, we do have the Asp as well, which is yeah. uh, it's kind of like the big brother of the, of the, uh, of the Diamondback. Fair enough, okay. Um, so anybody else played with uh, the Diamondback yet? Just Colin. Okay. I played with the Scout back in beta, and I found it a lovely, like a long-range medium fighter. You know, it's definitely Mm -hmm. it's not as agile as the Eagle or anything like that, but it's a very agile ship. It's also a very nippy little ship. Um, I think it was going at about oh, I think get up to about three fourteen or so with uh, four pips two engines, which is pretty damn fast. Mm. Um, but it had a really nice little turning point. Mm. I, I, just, um, I just find that these ships are are filing into holes that I've already surpassed, so I find it really difficult to find a use for them. I mean, I've, after flying the Scout in the Beta as well, it's a nice ship, and it you know sounds kind of like a, a diet asp, so it's only about you know fifty percent as farty in engine sound, <laughs> and um, but. And, you know, I'm back in the main game and I'm in a vulture and I just wouldn't go back to them. I just wouldn't go back to them. There's just no benefit of them over my little vulture, which I absolutely love. I guess that's that's the problem with a phased release, isn't it, really? That's the the issue that that you have because, um, essentially, we are are no longer perhaps the clientele that would, would see this as a stepping stone because maybe we've started with different ships and moved past them. Although, saying that, I mean, I'm still sat in a Cobra, so, you know, anything that is is a stepping stone above the Cobra is still something that I, you know, I may potentially want to, to, to fly. So, um, it does mean that, you know, there's advantage for me not having any time. <laughs> it it just gonna... seems to be that the higher up the ship list you go, the more you've got a lot of money invested in a, a task-orientated ship. So I've got my T9 for trade, I've got the Vulture for combat, and if I can get uh, my funds with the T9 up to a point where I can have a very well-kitted-out Python, I might be happy at that until they release a new ship that's either up there with the Anaconda or surpasses the Anaconda, but until such times, I'm not 
it's very hard to get excited about looking down at ships that are behind you, other than for a little bit of fun when you jump into a system and you don't mind losing it because it's cheap. So, you know, we could have uh, little destruction derbies around uh, stations now and, and use the likes of the Diamondback Scouts for a bit more speed and fun. But I can't... It's really hard for me to get excited about it now that I've got my Type 9, which was a, a, a really exciting moment in my game, was to jump in that and go... How do I fit this out the slot? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> and I don't know that I'm ever going to get that same experience. So anyone that's out there that's not got into the T9 or got into these big ships, that is such a wonderful thing to experience. The fear of when it says disconnected or you've you've suddenly been launched and you're just hovering there above the deck, going. Can I fit this through that slot? Do I go for the top edge? Do I go for the bottom edge? And as you're going through and you start to hear the scratches, you start thinking, should I have reduced the module for shield generator? Or should I have left it as it was? (laughs) And it's great fun. And I think, you know, I look forward to moving on. I had a chance to fly the Anaconda in the beta as well, which is a bit cheeky, really, because that's not what we were in there for. But it was absolutely awesome. And um, I think, you know... I might be satisfied with a well-kitted-out Python, but the Imperial Clipper and the Scout just don't have any hold for me at the moment. Sure. That's fair. What were you going to say, Ben? I think that the Scout actually does have a hold for me, more so probably than the the Diamondback Explorer, because I would like with I'd like the idea of a long-range fighter, which you really can't do in a Vulture, so... You know, let's say we're hanging out at Lay Station just now, but then we find there's a whole series of missions to do about 300 light years away. I can do that in my Vulture, but it's a it's a trek. Whereas with the Diamondback Scout, you can go there, and it's a much easier journey, but and you can still be very viable in combat. I guess there's probably still um, you know some work to come on essentially on tailoring the specialism roles so that so that groups work as teams um not not sort of thinking I'll, I'll use an analogy but i'm not thinking you know perhaps in the same way but if you you know if you do quests in a fantasy role-playing game in an mmo then you've got your your different you know your different character classes that go together and fit together and complement as a team and actually there's probably still some work to be done there to try and see where all of these different ships fit into, you know, your wing, um, essentially. And uh, specifically, um, you know, it was talked about early in development about the idea of ships carrying ships and, uh, you know, people deploying. So, you know, effectively you'd have maybe the Anaconda or something else having the cargo capacity to then deploy some of the other pilots in smaller ships and so on and so forth. And that way you could perhaps get around some of the the jump range issues. Um, At the same time, everyone has a role, you know, Um, and and maybe it's sort of there to to still be tweaked to to get the complementary nature of of the ships right. Well, the the, uh, Anaconda in its description still says it can carry small ships. Yeah, well, you know, that's... So we're still waiting on that. Yeah, something to come. I mean... The, the point being, I, I'm not suggesting that necessarily um, that the, 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 there's, there's too much to be done with what we currently have. I'm thinking perhaps that when we start to look at how the game, you know, how some of the aspects of the game expand a bit further, something like the dropship, 
you know, the name dropship implies it's going to be a, a planetary lander, doesn't it? So it does. you've got a reason to have a dropship. You know, do, do you see what I mean? And, but you don't have a reason to have a dropship until such point as we can planetary land. And, and some of the stuff, I, I know there was some consideration that um, the passenger liners were, were perhaps getting a little bit more love. Have they got any more love in power play yet? No, um, the Orca is still pretty to look at, but no one's going to fly it. Although I did come across one commander who says that they actually like flying the the, the Orca because um, it's got uh, it's got um, larger hard points than he was expecting, and you must admit it does move quite fast. Yeah, and obviously he can practice for Microsoft Flight Simulator when he's got some passengers. It does <laughs> it does move quite fast, but it also just dumps fuel out of its arse end just as quickly, leaving you stranded in the middle of nowhere. Oh, someone's still bitter. Yeah, you, you know, you, you sounded a little bit like, um, I don't know, uh, train spotting there for a second, Grant. It went a bit, yes. went a bit strange. Yeah, we'll get complaints again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, uh, let's move on a little bit from the Diamondback then. And, uh, I mean, we've, we've gone through and listed out some of the uh, you know the abilities of the ship, but I think people can can find some of that information for themselves as they go on and down. And we've we've kind of summarised, you know, what you can do uh, with the the ship and what the different sort of elements of uh, you know that it can it can manage. There is a certain amount of you know sort of tailoring as with everything else in that you know you can only get up to certain classifications of different things. Um, so so yeah. All right, anyway, so we've talked about uh, the, the Diamondback. So let's use that to move on to uh, talk about, I guess, to talk about power play in general is probably a good good thing. So um, for Commander Clueless here, gentlemen, what, what, what should I be looking at? You know, I've, I've logged in. I've not logged in since early, early wings. What short, sort of things should I be looking at and looking forward to and seeing? Well, actually, at first you're not going to notice anything different other than a lot of different menus. Uh, when you go to your your left screen, you see your galaxy map. Right down the bottom, there's a, a power play map, and when you click on that, you're confronted with a gigantic multicoloured jellyfish floating in the middle of your map. <laughs> <clears throat> and that represents all the different powers and the areas of space that they particularly control. And um, it's, it's, we did go into a bit of ex- explanation about how power play works last week, but we can do a very v- a quick rundown. Essentially, a power is a group. And that group has control systems. And these are just systems that are dotted in a sort of region. um, And those control systems steal resources from any system in a 15 light year radius of them. So control systems are key. You've also got your headquarters system, which is in the middle of it all. The closer a control system is to the headquarters, the cheaper it is to keep and that's money, your, what do they call it, capital credits that that power has to spend in order to keep that system happy and in line. And it is a weekly sort of uh, turn-based strategy uh, game that's kind of been put into it. So every week, all the actions of the previous week are calculated, all the movements are sort of worked out, and then it determines whether or not that successfully expands into new systems whether it has systems that it's going to lose and all gets calculated and then people get the rewards for all their work it's quite a a a sort of new way it's kind of like a it's kind of like a bolt-on game that you don't 
actually have to be involved in if you don't yeah. want to. And, and that's something that's maybe people are feeling they're going to miss out on stuff. But this weekly cycle is something that is of benefit to those the casual player because you can join in one week take some benefits, do some you know power play and then the next week not bother with it and you're not going to be any worse off when you come back to it four weeks later and do another week's work but the more work you put in the more you get out of power play and I think um, it's it certainly fills the hole of, for people who are maybe at the point in the game where they've reached the top as far as they see they've achieved what they want, they've got the ships that they want and they're just kind of trading water and, and not really sure what they want to do. This kind of represents a way that they can have a kind of effect on the universe and it might re-spark their imaginations. But ultimately, it is um, you know, a lovely mechanic to play with friends to get yourselves all excited about you know that the, your particular power is expanding into a system that you all know and you want to go and make sure that it works. And then you can see that other people and other powers are are working against you to stop you from expanding into that system so on that kind of level you get this emergent gameplay that's exciting and fun which is a reason to get involved but for the solo player that you really kind of have to justify it with some of the benefits that you can get for being part of a power whether that be percentage discounts of particular modules whether it be percentage bonuses on bounties or whether it be that the systems that that power currently has control over will all have um, black markets so there's there's quite a lot to consider so if you're asking me as you as a new player you're straight in there go to a station call up the now what is it contacts isn't it and then go down to the power play there and it'll bring you up a nice three page screen one is the Galnet News. Don't go into that, it will overwhelm you. <laughs> go into the middle option, which tells you all the powers, and you can read all about the power, what it stands for. You can go to its preparation stage. Now, preparations when it's looking to expand into a system. It does all this pre-work. And you can have a read through that and see what's required to prepare for that power. And then you can go to the next one, which is the expansion stage. And that's all about turning that system into a control system and then of course it starts leaching all the resources from the surrounding systems and then you've got to try and fortify it and stop the other rival powers from undermining it and causing it grief and all these tabs are there okay. and, and you've got an ethos tab which tells you all about the benefits that that particular faction has on a system it controls so for example uh, an imperial power may be pro-slavery and therefore any system that it covers happens to have a significant increase in demand for imperial slaves so that's going to create a good profit if you're bringing slaves in and it also then obviously can't really affect the imperial slave prices in a federation system but it might have another effect on it which you know might be beneficial to you so every power has different effects on systems that it currently exploits so if you're not even part of a power, a power have a look and see because that could really make you some nice little sneaky profits if you know where to take a, a, a little cargo to the best location to make the money on it so there's a lot of little things like that and then once you've joined the power that screen changes what it means so when you've joined a particular power visiting another player's another power's pages tells you all the techniques to 
stop them from doing those particular uh, items so that it will tell you how to interfere with their progression, how to upset their um, expansions and how to stop them from fortifying, how to undermine their systems. So these are definitely the first place you should start and it might just spark your appetite to get involved. Okay, all right. Um, I kind of feel like I'm, it's 20 years ago and I'm at the pub and someone's just introduced me to live role-playing. But um, there we are. It obviously worked because I kept doing it for about 19 years. Um, Colin, what, um, what were you going to add to that? Well, I think there's, there's not really much to add. I think Grant managed to summarise it quite well. Um, when we're mucking about with the, the power play thing in the beta i must admit it did give you that kind of feeling that um you were in a gang and that you were having to uh, that you were working towards a common goal uh and thankfully in single player um it's not just other players that interdict you and cause trouble um you still get npcs uh from other factions giving you a bit of uh causing you a, a few issues um so even if you go and try and start and play this in solo play, it's still going to affect you. Mm, okay. Uh, ben? I think the biggest thing that I actually noticed in beta was that your consequences definitely last longer nowadays. So, you know, back in beta, I accidentally went off and shot somebody uh, outside of Shnazdesra. Mm. Which basically meant for the rest of Beta, Shinatra Desra was trying to kill me. <laughs> nice. Which, you know, it was only a couple of hundred credit bounty that I had on me, but they still wanted to come and, you know, they weren't impressed with me. Um, although they have gone and changed that, so it's not quite so draconian anymore. But, yeah, sure. But I yeah, mean, obviously... Re- Sorry, go on. You re- but you really have to be a lot more careful with where you're shooting, when you're shooting... But also in power play, uh, for example, there are missions where you have to undermine a faction. But if you undermine, if you're an Imperial person and you're undermining another Imperial, you want to maybe do piracy missions against them, not kill them. Because, you know, you're still killing fellow Imperials and that's that's a no-no. But you want to stop their stuff getting through, so you want to pirate it instead. Okay, so um, the thing I'm noticing to be honest, is um, the the key thing being to start with is that it's obviously only one region of space. So what you guys were saying about whether you choose to be involved or whether you choose not to be involved, it's a big galaxy. You know, at the end of the day, there's still plenty to do. And um, as we're being a bit nostalgic in terms of going back a couple of years and, and talking about um, LaveCon 2013, one of the things that was discussed when we were... Because yeah, that was the point where Michael revealed just how big the map was going to be. And when we were talking about it, he was talking about the fact that the the sort of encouraged gameplay, their plan for the encouraged gameplay, the main thing they were trying to get people to do, was to go out to the rim and explore. And just go off, you know. And saying, okay, you know, maybe people... Um, some people will be confident straight away, some people won't be confident straight away but we hope to encourage more and more people to go out out to the frontier, out into deep, deep space and explore. And of course what this is, is we have a game here that actually is counter to that. It's a game going on in the middle. And and I think that's a, you know, it's a nice idea because actually it prob- probably 
takes into account a certain amount of the emergent gameplay gameplay within the you know the the existing um, you know the existing versions that we've we've played through, and it also lets you know that something's going on because of course if you're out there in deep space, far 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 away from everything, coming back and seeing how things have changed is actually it's one of those one of those things that you kind of quite like it's a you know it's a narrative thing it's a story thing i quite like the idea of disappearing off into deep space and then you know coming back and seeing all the the friends maybe that i i used to have um have have changed their galactic map has changed their territories have changed and so on and what's happened to people you know so you feel like there's there's times passing and and you know gameplays emerging in that regard um so yeah so obviously there's there's certainly a a significant uh um, interest here in terms of you know making that political game work, and it, it sounds from Grant's explanation that it's you know it's quite complex. They've thought about it on a number of levels. It'll be very interesting to see how people get involved, and you don't have to, which I think is one of the you know the additional niceties in that you can carry on just playing your own thing. Which um, I always with some of the other sort of uh, large space sims when there was a story the story sort of stayed there and you kind of sometimes you, you you know you miss deadlines or what have you and you 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 were worried that the story was affected and here you can just dip in which i think is is not a bad plan it's, okay it's it's very it's very sort of tangible and, and you've, the more effort you put in as say the more you can get out for that week and then the following week you know, the counters reset and you can either take part in it again or not i had somebody mentioning today that some of your merits might kind of hold over for the following week so the merits are the points that you build up through your actions uh, whether you're undermining or whether you're reinforcing or you're expanding or you know, doing all the deliveries or the battles and things on behalf of your power you collect these merits now a big difference to the beta because the beta was all about percentages so if you were in the top 50% you would get X rewards and if you got into the top 75% then your rewards went up and top 80 and top 90 and top 90 you're practically you know, being invited to the quarters of the powers leader uh, that's not true but you get the idea now yeah, sure. now it's actually a target which is much better because what that means is if you can raise 500 merits you hit the bottom rank if you can hit uh, 5,000 merits and so on and so forth now there's a degree of time involved in in getting 500 merits it might not sound like much but the top level is 10,000 merits a week so once you hit that 10,000 merits you are going to get the top level of reward for your power and where that's quite interesting is that actually can mean in some of the powers as much as 50 million credits which is a hell of a lot now merits are essentially what you would call points for the work that you do so if you're out undermining a particular faction that's an enemy power then you can either be destroying the ships and collecting what they would call power play points or you could be robbing those ships and stealing the propaganda from them or the trade deals and returning those to your home system for merits. So the merits equate to one power play point is one merit. So you can get 15 power play points destroying any ship. 
that's in the enemy faction, and then it's got to be it's got to be in line with what your power wants you to do. If you do something that they don't want you to do, you're not going to get that reward. So sometimes destroying a ship gets you your power play points. Sometimes you've got to rob that ship, and there's no benefit to killing it at all. In fact, it's just going to increase your bounty, and you take whatever you rob from them back and per one ton of cargo is a merit. Now, Ben was mentioning the fact that if you're unaligned, you know, and people might be attacking you when you go into their system if you're a rival power. If you're a rival power, yes, you are at risk when you enter another power's areas. If you are not aligned and you enter another power's system and one of those members attacks you, they're going to raise a, a big bounty on themselves for attacking you in their own system. Now that's going to have a problem for them to then operate in that particular system. They'll get a warning, they'll get fines from their powers as well if they continue to do that kind of action. But it will make it tricky and that's the way the new bounty system is quite interesting. You might think that now, in well, Craigie, previous to Powerplay, you shot somebody in Imperial Space and you were wanted through all Imperial Space. And that was a problem, you know, because you, you one misfire and that's it. Now it's not as as harsh as that. Now you misfire and you shoot somebody, then they're a member of a minor faction, then you're wanted by that minor faction in that system. And probably, I don't know for certain, but I would imagine you'd be wanted in any system where that particular minor faction operates as well. And that's completely unrelated to powers. So when you're doing these undermining missions and you're taking out ships, you are racking up a hell of a bounty in a system that you may never, ever want to go back to. So you do have to pay attention because although you can leave that system and you can go through federal space, even though it was a federation system that you've just absolutely annihilated all these poor guys in, you're wanted in that system, not across the entirety of that particular faction. And that's quite an interesting. And I guess that kind of, yeah, I guess that kind of helps with um, with warrant scanners as well, doesn't it? Because obviously that that even if you're not aligned to a to a power, if you've got you know a warrant scanner and you can pick people up in terms of knowing where they've got particular bounties, you can then you know encourages you to visit particular places. So you're 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 provoking emergent gameplay. Uh, in that regard, and I think you know anything that does that, it does certainly strike me. I mean, I've looked at a few of the screens that you've mentioned, Grant, while while we've been talking, and it does strike me that essentially we've got what we've got here is a sort of a layer over the top of a layer. Because if we think about where we were when we first started getting Galnet news, for example, uh, and the the way in which Frontier started to talk to people on the forums about. Um, about putting news on Galnet, uh, you know there were there were opportunities for writers to do that apparently, and there were opportunities for uh, you know for, for players to do that, and we saw you know the sort of the roughness of how that that sort of worked out because of course if anybody's putting the news up, there's a level of quality control, but there were still some things that were coming out that were contradictory to each other, and actually what you're getting now is, and I don't know whether this is automated or they're still doing as much human intervention. Uh, you know, to try and sort of characterise what's going on. What you're getting now is you're getting more of a. It feels more. Uh, it feels more. It feels like it has more of a direction to what's going on. It feels like it feels more believable because there are perhaps people behind it, less scattershot. Um, and you know, and I mean that's 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 all all positive, all good in that regard. 
Um, I do kind of feel, and I, you know, this is perhaps a pet peeve, I do kind of feel a little bit, um, you know, other than the fact that I've not played for that, you know, that for quite a, an amount of time. But I think with the fact that it's from the emerging campaign, it's, it is letting me know quite clearly how far out of the loop I am. <laughs> if that makes sense you know i you know and that's 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 just that's how it is you know essentially that's uh you know that's what uh they, it, it, this is this is an ongoing and an evolving franchise so you know so obviously you're going to you're going to have that situation but uh, it does more and more you're sort of seeing these new ideas and these new things coming in which are great you know in in, in some instances some instances you maybe you go okay you know that's not quite ready yet um, but you know the whole point here is Frontier have said all the way through that they're very proud of it and they want to put more work in it. So you know so that sounds sounds good. Um, and certainly, like I said, the layers really does make it feel like it's more. Uh, you know, lots of people playing different games for different reasons. Um, mm. I think that that argument, if you you guys remember, was a quite a, a vocal proponent or, or proportion of the forums talking quite a lot it was returning a lot and you know we were sort of saying no 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 you can find a game it was a lot about how this universe was vast but there didn't seem to be anything in it and people were rattling around and struggling to find things to do and the more we see layers of gameplay emerge on top of each other the more they have to do so actually you know new players coming in now they've got these new ships which obviously some of us have gone past but they've also got all these different nuances of gameplay that they can choose, which I think is cool. So, so yeah, it's there definitely is an awful lot to be done. I mean, the reason why I say avoid Galnet is because it's full of kind of power updates. So, as more and more of a particular power go out and do sort of preparation in a system and reinforce it with either trade vouchers or if they are particularly a combat power, it may well be to go in there and take out pirates or to take out system authorities. As I say, it's different for each power, but mm. as they complete it and become more success in there, then it appears in Galnet, such and such as, you know, moved into this particular system or they're preparing that particular system. And that's kind of cool, but because each power is expanding into potentially 10 systems each week that's a hell of a lot of Galnet news and it can be quite tricky in there, it might be good to have a filter in the Galnet news to be able to pull out what you want, but at the moment yeah. it's kind of like this massive wall of, of stories that are about powers and um, I've got uh, Mindwipe saying, do you Grant, have you seen what you need to do to grind to be able to get 10,000 merits a week? Yes, but I know somebody that in four hours managed to get to 5,000, and that was in one day's gameplay. As I say, you just chip away at it in that week. Don't go out of your way to try and achieve it, because some of the lesser rewards are just as awesome. And Ben is asking, where do you get these missions? Well, you don't. That's the beautiful thing about the power. Go into it. Click on one of the tabs. If you want to go and do help to expand, click on the preparation tab. And in that tab, you will see a list of the 10 systems currently being prepared for expansion by that faction. Those are the 10 targets that you have to take whatever the preparation instructions are to. So you go and you buy whatever it is. So, for example, for winters, I know it's delivering trade, trade deals. So you go to your power screen and there you can buy preparation trade deals. So you get 10 of those into your hold, because generally that's your quota for the lowest ranks. Off you head to one of those 10 systems, and when you get there, you can 
give them over in the power menu. And that's you contributing 10 points to that particular expansion. Now, generally speaking, the expanding in the test system is usually somewhere along the lines of 150 to 200 pieces of this stuff that you've got to get there in order to complete that target of being able to prepare. Now, the other side of that coin is other powers may be preparing into that system too, in which case it will be contested, and it's a case of who can get the most in there. Now, you can see all this information on that the power screen. So you can have a look and see, oh, we're trying to expand into that one. That particular system is a green, so it's going to give us an awful lot of these points and resources. We really want to take that one, but sodding, you know, Remclep and his pals are, are reinforcing it for Denton. We'll stuff them. Let's go. And you call up your pals and you all start, you know, grabbing as many of these preparation uh, propaganda as I keep calling it and taking it in there and reinforcing it and you can see this going live as it goes so you can see that and then the other one you've got your expansions where you're trying to turn a system to being into your control and that's equally as you know the information's there you can see if another faction's currently contesting you and trying to undermine you and the same for systems that you do control so you can see systems in your power that are in trouble and you can make that choice what do I want to do do I want to help us expand for a couple of hours and then I'll go and help you know reinforce somewhere where there's currently other powers trying to undermine my our powers systems do I want to skip this for a while and have a look and see how do I undermine that power and head off and do some undermining in one of their systems so there's no missions that you take you choose what you fancy to do and you either pick up the particular cargo that you require from the power screen because <laughs> it's all in there and then head off and do whatever those instructions are or you can have a look at the other options and just go off and do them undermining is particularly fun and I have to confess that uh, the undermining where you destroy enemy ships is probably one of the quickest ways in order to make merits and to get these power play points but of course it's also the quickest way to make yourself the most wanted in that system, which makes it tricky for you to go back in. And then what happens if your power takes it over? Does that bounty then become nullified because its service is rendered? Don't know. That's one of the exciting things that could happen. Um, but it's, it's so um, diverse uh, a system that you can see it going live. Oh. And uh, that kind of is something that means that you can adapt your play as and when you're going. So you might go and spend a couple of hours undermining system and then look at your power screen and go, oh crap, that particular system we've just taken is now in trouble and divert yourself and take those tasks on. And the difference between that and the normal elite gameplay is you can spend... You're going to do a lot more travelling in your powers because you're going to have to go to particular systems to pick up the vouchers and you're going to have to travel maybe upwards of 70 to 80 light years to deliver it which is not your typical trade run or your typical mm. bounty hunting you tend to stay in small areas doing small jumps mm. so it, it's kind of making you move more and do more in order to achieve yeah. these merits they're not simple to get sounds a little bit like the you know the old rares runs in that regard you know in that uh, certainly the distance probably sounds a little bit like that Colin, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say um, mostly that, uh, well, <laughs> what more can you say after, after uh, Grant has been putting through such a uh, robust explanation? <laughs> the, uh, 
Uh, what I was going to say, it's, it, you can see that there's influence by risk. So you've got your factions, which are basically the players in risk. But you take the part of one of the little, um, little pieces on the risk board. Only the difference is, instead of you being moved around, you choose where to move to help your player, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, uh, I and do. That's, and, and that is um, really the, the fantastic thing about this. You are now a tiny little cog in a very big machine. and uh, But sometimes just losing that tiny little cog can make the difference. Mm. Okay, Ben? Just listening to what you're saying about the pledge missions and things like that, Grant, I'm wondering, did Frontier deliberately give us the Diamondbacks and the Imperial Courier specifically for Powerplay, where we're going to be travelling long distances in slightly combative areas but delivering small amounts of trade goods. That sounds exactly what these ships are ideal for. It's very possible, and you raised a very good point about the benefits of the particular scout, is the fact that it's got, you know, well, it's not the scout, it's the explorer, it's got the large hard point and a, a great jump range, a, a sort of class 5 frame shift drive. I mean, so that's ideal for getting where, but you've got a balance because... You can either go for combat and go and undermine, but then you might have to come back. And this is, I think, where the Frontier reversing their 10% module cost um, came in. Because you are, as part of a power, going to have to jump back and put cargo bays in in order to carry whatever your propagandas or your trade deals or if you're having to pirate, you're going to have to have that cargo hold in order to collect these things. And then, before you can get your merits, so you're going to have to constantly keep chopping and changing to suit the task that you're doing. And one thing, as I say, I particularly, um, at the moment calling out for being unaligned and doing fine because you can survive these through not being in a power and you can take advantage of what a power brings to a system without having to be part of it. So don't jump in, spend your time because the minute you nail your power to a a cross you're going to have (laughs) systems that are going to be a little bit hostile towards you that might make trading difficult. And in order to get a lot out of these powers you kind of do have to have a fair bit of cash uh, resources available to you or time because some of the things are free. That's the point I was going to try and make. Um, There does seem to be a kind of entry point to this. Um, I would say that, you know, you've got to be about mid-level, you know, able to at least afford, uh, I don't know, a vulture or something like that, uh, just so that you've got the kind of... um, uh, resources to be able to play it because um, the last thing you want is uh, basically there's you flying around and then all of a sudden that's you bang straight back to the sidewinder and you can't help your faction very much at that level yeah no I, I can I can understand that Colin I think uh, you know it, it does seem certainly as you know we've, we've discussed the, the, the multiple nuances and ways in which you can go through it and Grant is been fantastic at explaining all of the the different ways in which he's uh, discovered that you can experience the the game through the you know through the power play idea, um, and it certainly we're starting to feel like this is not you know you you've got it you've got a game you can opt into if you choose to, and I think that's a a real strength in terms of what's there. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, obviously it does change the threshold. It perhaps changes the threshold of entry in terms of, you know, 
you're having the right ship, having the you know the right stuff. But I expect that there are probably nuances that will you know that will accommodate. Um, so yeah, so I mean, obviously, we'll see how how these things develop. If you want, a, a um, I want to turn. Go on. Oh, go on. Sorry, you were going to say. Well, I was going to say was um, if you want a kind of comparison with the the old uh, the standard MMO model, you can kind of think of power play as as I don't know your dailies or your or your meta game. The the stuff where you've managed to reach the high level, you need something else to do. Uh, mm. And on, uh, I also like the fact that it is completely separate. Everything is sort of self-contained on one screen elsewhere. And, and you know that that's where you, you you go for your power play, but the rest of the game you can just you can switch off and ignore it for the rest of the time. Yeah, no, I I mean obviously different games. I was going to move it slightly towards the fact that different games deal with this idea of you know whatever the ongoing campaign is, they deal with it in slightly different ways, don't they? And we've had mm. um, a variety of different MMOs. Um, ranging from giving control, giving the big levers to the players to um you know to all sorts of different modeling the way in which this seems to to suggest you know it seems to sort of work is that actually the bigger levers ultimately frontier have got the final button push on most of those big levers um so so you know i mean that's a fairly safe way of working it does require a, a continual trust between the player and and frontier and the, in the, the player's subscribe to you know to the powers dependent on the emerging gameplay the powers actually their their work being um their work actually being rewarded you you, do you see what i mean um because if you if you don't trust that the game is actually going to do the things that it promises it's going to do if you put the time and the effort in to achieve the thing that you're attempting to achieve then you know, you're slightly disconcerted so but the, you have to have that recipro- uh, reciprocity of of trust between the player and the, and you know the games organization uh, the, the flip is obviously is eve where you know the emergent campaign is essentially is has been sort of left to the players to for the most part to, you know to sort of have the dominance in that regard um, and you know, and many many sort of rafts in between. I think I think the way they've gone with this here, it does retain that that elite thing, the raison d'être of one person in their ship making the decisions that they want to make. I think that's kind of what you were saying, really, wasn't it, Colin? In that, you know, that is still the elite thing. Yes, completely. Uh, you... and, but then, but then you make that decision to join this. Mm-hmm. But that's still the elite thing. You are still one person in a ship, and you can just walk away. You know, you could be that one person in a ship and do something else, yes. or you can change sides, or you know. So no. certainly sounds interesting. You know, what no, you I, like, I like I like the fact that they've actually still retained choice with the player. I mean, I yeah. know that was the whole point of elite in the first place. You choose your story, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that they've been able to add this extra layer of metagame, if you like, on top while retaining that choice, I think is quite an achievement. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to turn this in a slightly, uh, you know, obviously connected direction. So um, some folks may have seen the uh, the post I put out yesterday in relation to the Powerplay characters. Um, and the the detail on this, um, you know, I, I've, I've got a couple of concerns here, and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts about it. Um, we have this image Essentially, and we've never had uh, a sort of an image of 
of personalities in elite um you know before it's we've had we've had names mentioned but we often don't necessarily have any artwork there there have been some you know one or two bits and pieces in some of the short story collections and what have you but you know you've got names but you don't necessarily know you know how people look and so on and so forth now the interesting thing here is finally we've got 10 faces and these 10 faces have obviously been carefully prepared um but they still don't quite they have a bias in terms of their demographic they are they are good in that i would say that they have a there is a, a a diversity to them but it's perhaps not as wide a diversity as we might like. I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, personally, I think they've got quite a good mix, uh, to be honest. They do seem to have covered most of... Okay, there's not a 50-50 split in the genders concerned. Um, It does seem that a lot of races are, you know, different... uh, different ethnicities, I can't even pronounce the word. Ethnicities. That's the one. (laughs) My tongue's too big to say those kind of things. Um, But it does seem to have a good wide range. I do know there have been a couple of complaints um, from people saying, oh, that looks a bit white to me. Yeah, Uh, it is. It is. uh, You know, I mean, the the stats that that I've obviously I've I've made a a reference to, uh, 100 people, the website, um, gives you a very clear indication of what the the world's population of ethnicity is, and you know, in the the different demographics across the world. Um, and this doesn't really quite uh, match up to that. It's it's actually not bad. You know, it's not bad at all. You know, there is a uh, you know sort of a, a broad range here. But um, it would be nice to see Frontier move that forwards. That said, uh, uh, you know, people have said that these are ten, and they're apparently are going to be twenty. So. You know, there's an opportunity there to, to perhaps redress that um, in some way. Um, I certainly, I think I'd welcome that. I, I think the reason, and, and perhaps, and I'm not going to do a grant on you here, gentlemen. I'm not going <laughs> to <laughs> spend spend most of the next half hour saying this, but I do think the reason that um, you know, there's a very core reason here, and uh, I'll equate this back to you know why I why I enjoyed Elite as a child, and perhaps why you guys enjoyed Elite as a child. Um, why I enjoyed Elite because, was because when I read those stories and when I, I played the game I could imagine myself being the person in it and you know the interface, the idea of, of you know being the pilot behind the, you know in the cockpit as it were, gives you that opportunity. Similarly the, the stories, because there were no images it gave you that opportunity. So the anonymity allows you to to kind of be anybody and so, actually, that's quite a a broad imaginative enfranchisement. It actually allows anyone to, to kind of read the story, play the game, and, and imagine that they were that person in space. Um, and I think uh, I, I went to Longcon and, and went to a panel on this, and there was um, some discussion with quite a few science fiction writers who were talking about the disenfranchisement of, of ethnicity sometimes and the way in which occasionally... If you are not of um, not of the gender or or not of the um, you know the the image of the person that you're, you're you're reading a story from, then it can suggest that only that type of people are capable of you know achieving these type of things. And I think Frontier has a has a kind of it's not an obligation, but there is an implicit element 
to the idea of predicting what our future society in space will be, which is why I think it needs to be very, very ethnically diverse, you know, as diverse as, as you know, as our world is now. Um, so I do think there is a white bias. I think it's a shame. I think maybe five years ago, maybe, you know, eight years ago, this would have been perfect. And absolutely, we would have been saying, oh, it's great. It's got a nice broad stroke of ethnicity across the, you know, there's diversity across the, the different characters. Actually, now in 2015, with the specific situations that there are in science fiction and fantasy in a wider sort of uh, context outside of gaming, in, you know, in filmmaking, in television, in, in fiction, actually, I think Frontier can, can probably do a little bit better. And they've done so well in saying that the science is really, really, you know, their priority amongst the physics, amongst the astro, you know, uh, the astronomy, the, the other bits and pieces. Um, the idea of the anthropology not being as projectedly refer- um, representative, I think is kind of a bit of a, you know, perhaps a little bit of a weakness, because there's no, there's no reason for that. You, you know that with some of the other science that, there, there is a reason because what you're doing is you're prioritizing fun in terms of gameplay and here there actually isn't one so you might as well be as ethnically diverse as you possibly can because it doesn't make a difference you know in that regard so yeah sorry that was my soapbox <laughs> <laughs> i've got a quick question i'd like to ask have there been any studies done on what would happen if you took people from every ethnic background had them interbreeding for well, a thousand years, what would that look like? Well, there was an interesting study done in Kentucky about a, um, a, a, I think it was a small village community where one one man, about six generations back, had a, a blood condition that made his skin look blue. And <laughs> then they, they discovered that about after six generations, pretty much everybody in that village had this skin condition. So... Um, which was was quite an interesting, you know, it sort of gave an interesting thing. And I know that um, certainly there are other people far better qualified than me that know more about the way in which interrelations work when you go back generation after generation, you know, to try and determine, you know, how how large a population is, how, you know, how the the evolution of a population, the differences, the changes, et cetera, et cetera, works. And, And we are projecting quite a way into the future and you know there are a fair amount of projections that you can find with a very small amount of research to say what the ethnicity and diversity what we will kind of what we're expected to look like in 2050 uh, and what genes are dominant and what genes another thing i'd um, love it's very interesting sorry your technical difficulties and you went silent on me there yeah yeah i was waiting for you to talk um, what I'd love to know as well is, do we have any idea on the ethnicity, uh, that word Colin can't say, ethnicity of, say, places like Akanar or wherever, where maybe a small population from a wee village in Ireland have decided, you know, we don't like all this British oppression, and they take off to the stars and... But it's basically it's a tiny, tiny group of people who have had a thousand years living all together. Well, generally, the uh, the fiction has avoided that kind of um, that 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 sort of you know uh, claustrophobic idea, the pressure cooker idea. Mm-hmm. Um, Dark Eden, if um, uh, if any of you have read it by by Chris Beckett, sort of has that 
that sort of idea it deals very very clearly with uh, with that sort of concept um, the reason it's it's mostly been avoided is because it's very difficult to make it anything other than superficial you have to do quite a bit of research yeah. to make something seem authentic rather than make it seem like a caricature and, and um, so and similarly the the major cultures in um, in elite dangerous the, or the major factions in elite dangerous the you know the empire the um, the federation and so on and so forth there's actually very little that gives a guide as to where they specifically came from in terms of um, earth societies we know the federation is like a projected america we get that you know because there is that that clear identification but you don't necessarily see the empire coming out of the former soviet bloc you don't see the alliance coming out of you know of something else the the only one you know, that you have quite clearly is the you know the sort of u.s dominance of um uh, the federation and that seemed to come from essentially from a projection of 1990s society you know early 1990s uh you know fall of the the berlin wall breakup of the soviet union the idea that there is only one superpower in the world you know that that kind of projection forwards certainly uh, certainly comes out of um uh of the culture of the time when frontier and frontier first encounters were being produced now here subsequently to that you know there's not really and i you know i mean i know because i wrote a fair amount of the you know the draft documentation obviously it's been revised since then to accommodate all the different campaign that i'm i'm now not a part of of producing but there isn't that much guide material in any of that that would say specifically oh this culture were on earth here and they went to there if there is then that's one author's particular, you know, particular sort of percadillo, as it were, you know, their, their particular idea. Um, it's not come, certainly, from from a general theme towards, you know, the, the Elite Dangerous campaign. Does that kind of answer the point? Yeah, it's just something that I was wondering about, because I know in the, oh, the David Weber series, it is something that they go into a lot, um, especially with the gen- their genetic slavery uh, slant, Mm-hmm. And it's ex- it's explained that you know um, the main area where Honor or Harrington comes from is a largely American bias, mm. but they have slave former slaves who were basically from the almost like idealized Aryan races kind of thing dialed up to eleven. I think the thing is though is that if you're going to do that kind of cultural bias. Um, certainly, what you what you try and do is you work that into the story, so it becomes yeah. part of, yeah. And 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 actually, if you're in a discrete novel, um, and you want to, you want to showcase prejudice, you use prejudice as a tool for the story. Uh, and actually, what we what we have, you know, within Elite Dangerous, because it is such a wider uh, piece of work, there are distinctive cultural ideas. But you couldn't necessarily say that they were directly emergent from a current contemporary culture. And in fact, I think there's been a steer to sort of move away from that. Because um, if you look at you know, the empire, the, the original concept ideas of the empire is late republic and early you know, sort of um, uh, Augustus Caesar, you know, sort of that point in time. So where you've got 
the the republican bureaucracy moving into into early empire um and you know that isn't representative of any society that exists in modern in the modern world it's a you know it's a call back to a, a society that existed 1300 1400 years before it so yeah there's a lot there that you know um is has been drawn from emergent ideas but at the same time it, it is a little bit um I, I think, you know, from what you're saying, I, I think you do have to be very careful with drawing contemporary culture specifically in terms of portraying its biases. Um, if we if we tried to create uh, a representative society, or if we tried to put North Korea in space, and it was directly correlated to North Korea, that is now, you know, racially, um, bureaucratically. Uh, societally, um, you know, every every element of it was directly correlated to now. That that's essentially that's a punch in the face to North Korea, isn't it? You know, because yep. it's somebody outside of North Korea choosing to portray a North Korean society and say, you know, uh, look at this. Now, um, you you make that decision, but um, I don't think I don't think that's that's actually what we're we're kind of hoping that you know I, i'm certainly not hoping that elite dangerous will do i'd like to see it more representative as i say you know in terms of the the ethnicities to really embrace diversity across the board because i think other games don't do it and i think you know i think we it's got a chance to really really be very proactive in that regard i think one thing that i do did like that um they did in one of the galnet feeds recently with was having the i think it was vice president Sneeton or Smeaton or whatever his name was, was gay. And I just love the fact they just you know, yeah. slid it in there, no big deal. Vice Vice President Smeaton was murdered, his partner says this. Mm. Okay, and, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought that, you know, it, they didn't make a song and dance about it. Um, there wasn't a great big, hey, we're embracing a diverse lifestyle choices. We, we love everybody, that's all cool. They didn't care about it, they just like, yeah, it came out there and that move on yeah no absolutely um i think that that really works um and you know and i think i think that doing things like that um doing things like that kind of um you know you're immediately you're you're drawing in ideas of of you know of of current culture but you're drawing them in in a way that sort of works for um for everybody, you know, it works for everybody in terms of uh, of what's going on. Um, so I'm just uh, I'm just at the moment just adding Mark to uh, to the call. Um, so hopefully he's going to pick up in just a second. He's just tried to call me while you were talking there, Ben. So I'm hoping he's going to uh, pick up and uh, and see that I've added him to, to what's going on. Um, anyway, no, to, to to take your point, yeah, no, absolutely. I like you know that kind of thing is exactly the kind of thing that I think um, uh, it should be doing, and hopefully we can we can kind of see more of that. Um, I'll try that again. See if that works a second time. Yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, I, well, I, I definitely agree that all all things and all all biases should be represented. But what I don't want to see is a lesbian ninety year old woman who's from Africa just to tick a certain box. That's the last thing I would want to see. Yeah, sure. No, absolutely. And that that's that's exactly the point, isn't it? You know, you you actually you just want it to be what it is and then yeah. and then let them be characters yeah let them be people let them um let them let do them stuff breathe. yeah exactly and you know and I, I mean you know they, they've got to have their own 
sort of things in terms of what they're doing. Um, so, so that you know that that would be good. Um, but we'll see. You know, we'll see what Frontier have done. If anybody wants to check out the article, um, I have posted it up this week. So you've got uh, over at alanstroud.co.uk um, and. If you look for uh, the you know the top article there, it's Elite Dangerous Color of Space, um, and you can kind of have a look down. Now, uh, you know, I'll stress the point here. Obviously, it's I, I think there was a small amount of discussion on the forums about this, and when we had the discussion on the forums, the discussion that we had started to get into the kind of you know bit crap tit for tat, and this this actually doesn't need that. It doesn't need people necessarily to say, "Well, I think it's all right." Or um, you know, or to sort of you know, sort of band it back and forth in that regard. It actually needs a very carefully considered discussion. Um, particularly, you know, and I'll, I'll be I'll be blunt about this. I'm a white male, so I'm I'm totally enfranchised. Do you see what I mean? You know, so actually, in terms of knowing whether you know these representative icons actually, you know, sort of um, do enfranchise everybody, that that it needs a very thoughtful. Uh, consideration in terms of the way in which we look at it and i think it's a real opportunity if frontier take it right it's a real opportunity take it in system travel sometimes it takes so long i have tools for all kinds of circumstances on my ship but the one thing i don't have a tool for is uneven tan lines. I just want to look like a million credits, but when you're living for days on a ship with processed and filtered air, it really dries out your skin. I use Betterhope Goldening Tan Cream. It just boosts your confidence. I don't believe that beauty is only skin deep, but now, I really do look like a million credits. Even my friends mistook me for a genuine gold skin. Jameson and Jameson. Upgrades and services for your body. So we'll move on. And uh, uh, now I've, I've sort of made my, my point about uh, uh, those bits and pieces. As I say, if people want to, you know, to check out the article, please do. I think it'd be very useful. Um, so... In terms of the newsletter then, Ben, we've kind of... I think we've talked about most of it, haven't we? I think so. Let me just go and double-check. And we've also got... There's a, a little post from David Walsh that's available online talking about what Frontier Developments have become from their... You know, when he joined the company in about 2000, which uh, I think Chris Jarvis found that out. So if anybody wants to go and take a look, that's over on LinkedIn. And if you, if you just look up, I think it's called Pulse... And then it's what have we become, David Walsh. It's quite interesting. It talks about a, a company of seven employees and how they've they've moved forward in fifteen years. Um, now the other things that we had to to talk about uh, that we wanted to, to make sure people knew: Frontier are at PAX on the twenty eighth of August till the thirty first of August, and then they're at Gamescon. Uh, well, before that, they're at Gamescon in Cologne on the fifth of August to the 9th of August. Um, and they're also doing E3 on the weekend of the 15th of June. So those are all the, the sort of major dates as things are going on. 
But of course, in between all of that, they're coming to LaveCon because, you know, that's what we do in July. So we're all going to go up to the Sedgebrook Hotel and do the stuff that we're going to do over there. So we've got a, a good cross-section of, uh, of the Frontier staff coming. I think most of the usuals, Michael will be there. Um, I, I think Ed's coming. I think uh, you'll see Chris um, and, uh, and a few of the others are, are going to come across. And, you know, it'll just be a nice place to, to kind of hang out and do the stuff that we're going to do. And on top of the things that we're going to do, we're going to bring Mark. And Mark, what are you going to do? I am bringing what I probably only know about. I don't know much about your hobby, but uh, I'm going to learn a bit. So I'm going to bring a, a taste of Warhammer to your, your event. Ah, uh, fantastic. Now, if uh, people don't know, and certainly I know one or two of the guys who've, who've been down to my house, I have the biggest shelf full of Warhammer Fantasy Battle miniatures that, well, I don't, you know, I, I ran I ran live role-playing games for a number of years, and this, to take away from the stress of doing downtime returns, I painted miniatures and ended up with a shelf of Empire, a shelf of Bretonians, a shelf of Vampire Counts, and a shelf of Tomb Kings on top of a load of 40k stuff. But you're going to bring, essentially you're going to bring a fantasy battle tournament, yeah? Indeed, yes. First off, we don't say Warhammer 40,000. That's a curse word. That's round base. <laughs> you don't mention that one. I played Warhammer 40,000 and I loved it, so... <laughs> Stop swearing! <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm I'm bringing a proper game, Warhammer Square Bases, well it might not be Square Bases for much longer, but yes, Warhammer events, where you come and bring your armies, you play three games of Warhammer over the course of a day, and the winners play the winners, and the winners play the winners, and the winners play the winners, and the losers play the losers, and at the end of the event you should have one winner, and then a second and a third, and then usually at the bottom... A loser, the wooden spoon as well, usually gets an award as well. Well, you know, in most tournaments that certainly that, that I've done, it's also been about, you know, occasionally you get someone who's just great fun to play. Yeah. Definitely. And, that, and actually one of the things that I kind of really want to bring is the quality of some of the armies that come to events. Excluding sort of like from the gaming side, there's such an array of amazing armies out there, which people bring. There's some events out there. There's quite a busy Warhammer independent gaming scene out there, tournament-wise. There's, you could probably do two a month if you really pushed at it and went all around the country. Some events have different sort of regulations over armies that you can bring and quality of paintings and things like that. And I, I kind of, what I'd love to do here is just to show off a bit of the quality of armies that people bring, not just any old tat with different different colours and you know, <laughs> any old rubbish, really. And, and yeah. I've been to events where you get like people who come and they just like mix match up mix and match of armies different movement trays different different banners different colors just to make you know like a really powerful army or whatever but i try my rules pack that i've released is very much about bringing a nice army which looks good on the table and people can sort of see what the hobby can bring i've done similar in that i've not done that many tournaments but um occasionally you get those uh those players who where it says on the rules that the army must be painted everything on the table is black or they turn up with and they say can we have counts as which essentially means can yeah. i have a piece of paper that's got a name written on it and that you know that's the miniature i think we're singing from the same so- song sheet and, and preaching i'm preaching a bit to the converted here by saying that it sometimes the the look of what you have on the table and we're not trying to exclude people by saying it but that sometimes the look of what you have on the table kind of helps with the idea of it being a story doesn't it you know yeah, when they actually yeah. when they actually look like 
they're they're properly on the on the grass and what have you, and you know, and running around and so on and so forth. It does help. I've got a couple of armies which I've just put together really quickly because there's like there's different sort of qualities of armies out there. A like mm. a bit of like like as in the rules. If you, I mean, without if you don't know the rules ins and outs, it's difficult to explain. But some armies mm. are stronger than others, and sometimes mm. I've painted an army quickly for an actual event. But it's mm-hmm. not very well painted. I've done it sort of like over the course of a week or two, just rushed it. But I'm going to an event this weekend, and I was meant to be playing one of my sort of more rubbishly painted armies, and, and, and it was just there for the competitive nature of the game. Yeah. But lots of things have changed. I'm actually taking a not-so-competitive army, but it's an army of my models, which I've spent months and months and months painting. Mm. Um, sure. and, and I'm kind of looking forward to going to the event more because of the army I've painted, it's just a much better quality and I've spent more time with it. So, yeah, you just get a feel for it when an army looks better. Yeah, so we're kind of hoping that, you know, there'll be one or two elite dangerous players who are interested in then bringing their Warhammer Fantasy Battle army up. We're also interested if, if people are bringing, sort of perhaps bringing children or, or anything else, they can kind of, you know, get an introduction to, you know, perhaps a slightly different hobby that connects. Because, of course, I, I think the thing we have to acknowledge here is that most of the people who are playing this computer game are fans of science fiction in general, are fans of fantasy stuff in general. Mm. You know, they they do lots of different things. And, you know, I mean, I do, you do. I'm sure the, the guys do. Um, as Ben said, he's played the, the Warhammer game we don't talk about. Which edition of the rules are you you going to bring? <laughs> well, it's going to be 8th edition. Timing-wise, it's pretty, pretty poor, unfortunately, because the new rules, we think, are being released... And it's, this is all here say in the room, the Games Workshop haven't confirmed anything, that the brand new rule set will be released on the weekend of the actual event. So um, <laughs> we've kind of just missed the boat by a few weeks for the new event. Well, I, I was holding off. I would have loved to have been the first event doing the proper ninth edition, but unfortunately Games Workshop were too slow. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, I think, you know, the the nature of uh, of LaveCon will be that it'll be nice to have something that, you know, that everybody can kind of go, oh, yeah, I'm familiar, I can sort of drop in. That said, you know, for me, 8th yes. edition, I think my last copy of the rules is 6th edition, so I might have to do something about... You missed quite a lot. <laughs> what point value are you setting the tournament at? 2,400 points. Since um, probably about six months ago, Games Workshop started releasing new rules called the end times which is sort of wiping the slate clean with the world their game world um so not only is it sort of 2,000 points it's the majority of the rules within all the new rule books as well so interesting times and, and you can have a real mix of different armies as well so it's a little bit more varied sure okay so i might be able to dust off a few things that, that don't fit in any particular army list i'm gonna have to buy some books this is gonna be uh, i'm gonna have to read them that's 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 gonna be tough um you best stop holding up the ninth edition. <laughs> <laughs> no, so 2,400 points then. And, yeah, the idea of three battles, and obviously then uh, then people can sort of get an idea of where they're at. I guess as well, yeah. you'll be able to sort of have a bit of time to get round to the rest of the event, perhaps see some of the other things that are going on, maybe play a little Elite Dangerous. For me, there's there's so many different hobbies out there. And, yeah. and I, it's the same, same thing I say about sort of like tabletop wargaming, online wargaming and live action role play. I mean, I do them all or I've done them all at some point in my life. And I always say to people, it's the same game, but just a different rule set. And it's always interesting to put my toe in the water for something else. Um, so I'm quite looking forward to seeing what your sort of game is all about. Because I'm, I'm a bit unknown to it and I don't know what it's about. So I'm kind of going to learn a bit and hopefully I'll bring a bit to the table as well. 
Yeah, no, hopefully. I mean, you know, I, I certainly, I found that, you know, a lot of the stuff, and uh, I should mention to the folks that are listening, I, that uh, Mark and I know each other fairly well in that we've we've dressed up in costume and ran around fields uh, for a number of years. The, the <laughs> circumstances, yeah, no, that, that sounds so, so, so strange, but, you know, I, I think they kind of get what I mean. But the circumstances here are, actually, you, you do find that when you cross into different communities, and I'm sure you know this from, you know, from doing wargaming when you cross into different communities you do end up with all sorts of different you know sort of dynamics and it's you know it's just nice to find people that are pleasant and that are interested in in things that are similar to what you're interested in ben what are you going to say right what can i get for a 2400 point army <laughs> okay well essentially i think is it is it still using the the standard force organization chart, or uh, is there something slightly different now? Yeah, so I, I guess I can explain that because actually there's there's lots of different rules now in in Warhammer. So in two thousand four hundred points, you have like your lords and heroes, and you could take an allocation out of that point. So twenty five percent of your points could be lords and heroes, and twenty five percent of your your army would have to be under your core choices. So that would be like your your core forces. And then there's special and rare, so special and rare choices, which are, are slightly better units that you could take within your force. With the new rules, slightly different, where you can take up to 50% of your army can be lords and heroes. So a big chunk of your army could be heroes on dragons and wizards and all sorts. And most of your army could be other troops as well. So, you know, so there's, there's a big range here. There, There is a... A bit of a sidetrack. There is a, a rule that got released in one of the books, which we're not going to be using at the event for various reasons. Where you can take whatever you want, you can have a whole <laughs> army of heroes if you really wanted. And, and 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 as much as I think that's really cool, and I've played it for me, I'd like to see armies which look better on the field for this particular event, where you you could just take four giants and a wizard, and and it, it kind of it, it's kind of cool, but you don't get a feel for what an army looks like and I kind of want to get an army so so I, I've decided not to use the rule where you can take whatever you want I've kind of put minor restrictions on what you can take if any more sort of listeners that might know about it it's the End Times Archean book we're not using where it lifts all the restrictions so that's, that's the only sort of thing we're not really using So Ben's basically now getting the um, uh, I'll just point out to you here Mark Ben is getting... I'm getting a bit of revenge on Ben here because we've spent about an hour talking about the Elite Dangerous update of Power Play, which I've not played yet. So Ben and, the, and, and Grant have basically sat and, and spieled at me and I've sit, sat here very, very nicely and nodded and asked the right questions in the right places. And now, of course, Ben doesn't know what we're talking about, so he's struggling. Okay, so you're running a tournament at LaveCon. But are you going to be having... It sounds like it's going to be very elitist, for want of a better word, that you need to have a 2400-point, very well-painted army. What about somebody who's just wanting to tip their toes in? I'll just answer that a little bit. I think mm. what I'm planning to do, basically, along with all the other things I've got to do for the weekend, <laughs> is I'm actually planning... I'm, I'm planning to bring up a pointed-up army of the four different armies that I've got. Yeah. And I'm just going to bring them so that they are then available... And then if people want to go and play, then essentially they can just come across and say, actually, we'd like to, to just have a go. And I'm sure Mark will work, work out the, the, the sort of the, the details of that, if that's all right with you, Mark. It may sound a bit elitist. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not asking for the best painted armies out there because not everyone can paint like that. It's kind of I kind of just wanted to show off what the scene can bring. So maybe next year people will go, oh, I kind of like the look of this. I'm, I might come next year. You know, yeah. So you've got to start. You, you've got to start somewhere, and and I think for me is is 
I, I guess there is a certain level of elitism. But when I go to a, a tournament, um, I go. I want to see my opponent army painted uh, on the board, so I can really sort of like immerse myself into it. I don't want people bringing a bit of paper saying this is this is a knight, this is a chariot, or whatever. Yeah, that's kind of crap, club. isn't it? Uh, yeah. That's the the level we're talking about, really, there, Ben. And you know, and I think Mark and I have probably had those experience at tournaments a couple of times. And you kind of, you know, when someone brings their cocktail sticks, it really isn't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of just to go back to the point about the uh, the army list, essentially, what what Mark was saying about you know the different different elements, the the way in which Warhammer is usually structured is to create this cohesive form out of the army. So. There are certain troops, certain standard types, you know, your rank and file that you have to take a certain amount of to allow you to take some of the the more weird and wonderful things. Um, and obviously they've changed that balance a little bit more recently, but it does give you a bit of an idea of, you know, how... And, and it's nice as well because it means when you actually play the game, your weak troops sometimes can be the heroes, the guys that you've, you've invested the least amount of, of your allocation in they're the guys that actually do really well. So, you know, and that's the story. So I think that's, I think that's cool. Yeah, I mean, there's, um, just to sort of add, um, there's a scenario in the game that you play called the Watchtower. And, and the idea of the, the game is to hold the Watchtower, which is in the centre of the, the, the battlefield. And you've got to survive as long as you can without your opponent getting the, um, the tower. Um, and one of the, the thing that starts in the tower, one, one side unit starts in the tower, and it has to be the core unit, which is your basic foot troops, so like like your basic humans. They're not elite units or anything like that. They have to start in the building, and they need to hold out for the whole game. So they have the whole army supporting them, holding the tower, but it's that unit that needs to hold the tower and keep it safe. If you hold the tower, you win the game. If you don't hold the tower and you lose it to your enemy, you've lost the game. So, you know, it's, it's exactly what you're saying there. The, the core units, the base units, are sometimes the requirement and the need to win your game, not just relying on the dragon to kill your opponent. <laughs> and the sort of, I think, the thing that obviously connects with what we've been talking about, about uh, elite and the elite crowd, is this this emergent narrative, you know, and the things that we like about playing Elite Dangerous is basically is the, you know, the, the, the story of the single commander, those moments when you, you beat stuff against the odds and so on and so forth. It kind of happens in wargaming too, you know. And, you know, some of, the, some of the figures that you're desperate to keep playing on the field are some of those figures that have, you know, that have kind of won it for you before. It doesn't actually, you know, you're lucky, you're lucky empire soldier whatever you know it it doesn't actually mean anything but you know you you make meaning out of it don't you i definitely had a lot of feeling with my blood marine terminators fair enough okay um so on that note <laughs> before, before Mark... <laughs> do you get gene stealers out of interest in in normal warhammer no, you don't. I'm afraid. No, I will referee a little bit here, okay? So, okay, so thanks, Mark. That, that really gives us a clear indication of, of the stuff. I think we're running that on Saturday of LaveCon, aren't we? we yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and sort of finishing a lot, I think. Sure, sure. Okay, so what we'll do is, obviously, if there's any more details, we've already posted some of the details up on the Lave Radio website in the LaveCon pages, and if there are any more details, I'm sure Mark's more than happy to, to, to sort of answer any questions. What we'll do is, if you, if, if any of the listeners want to email us at info at we'll forward those questions to Mark if they're particularly technical, 
and we won't let Ben answer them because sure. obviously he'll just talk about his blood angels and, and gene stealers and <laughs> yeah stuff like that. So we will we will leave him to it. Okay, Mark, thank you so much for that. That's great. And just yeah. before I shoot, can I just yep. if you go to www.warhammer.org.uk, there is a rules pack available there as well. Um, okay. There is also quite a, a large forum of other Warhammer sort of tournaments that get run around the country. If you go there and have have a have a look around to see what what's what's around the country, because I don't know how far people travel. They might travel long distances to get to you, but you'll find that there's events all over the UK. Sure. Um, but on there, there's I think I think it's there's a under the section tournament news. There's Lavehammer link and rules, and you can ask questions there to the general public as well. Okay, so and um, you, so yeah, so we'll 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 certainly will we'll put some of those links up on the Live Radio website too, underneath the episode when we when we post it, and um, and yeah, you know, I mean, I'd encourage anybody just to go and have a look around at those things, and also even just wandering your local games workshop and just have a chat to them about the bits and pieces about it because it's actually a very accessible hobby um, once you start to you know, to get into it. Although you know, I, I'm sure Grant will end up with thousands of, of little men that he won't have enough time to paint, won't you, Grant? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think every Warhammer player has that. I can probably get you several plastic bin bags of unpainted models. I, I, I'm exactly um, so the I same. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got I've got four four toolboxes up here in the attic full of bits. Um, it just, you know, that's the way it is. And it, it's when you've got time in your life, you kind of, it's wonderful to, you know, really relaxing. But, you know, when you've got time in your life, then you, you, you build build them when you haven't and you don't. Are they still the lead miniatures or are they down to plastic things now? They're, they're all resin now. So you've either oh, got... resin, that'd be nice. Yeah, you've either got the produced, you've either got the produced plastics or you have specialist resin plastics. They did go from lead to white metal because obviously lead... Lead poison given to children. <laughs> um, I've, I've still got some, you know. I mean, I've got some miniatures that are from the 1980s, which are still, you know. The range of plastics they've got now are absolutely fantastic. The models are just brilliant. Okay, so they've changed Finecast now, have they? Because uh, that's the last time I bought anything was was when Finecast was still. Uh, being I think I think they stopped. Produ- I think I can't remember the last time they produced a new Finecast model. They've turned a lot of their old metals um, yeah. into uh, Finecast. Um, right. Which is better because metal. So if you drop a metal model, it snaps and crashes. Yeah. You know. But the, I don't know. The, I, the, I remember my mother throwing my lead models at me across the room on multiple occasions when she was not impressed with something I'd done or spending yeah, far too much money they, on on these things and so on. And there goes your metal model. <laughs> no, yeah. this, it, the, the arm fell off, but the the models never actually broke. But the arm was meant to come no, off because you no. could pose them and all that. So it's just a bit more super glue on it. I wouldn't be very happy if somebody threw my model. <laughs> I wasn't impressed with her either, I have to admit, but, you know, these things happen. My steam tanks are fully metal steam tank. Now I say to people, if you, if, if you beat me, I'm going to smash your army up with this steam tank, and my steam tank hurt. will crash your army up. <laughs> yeah, yes. I've seen those. They are proper heavy. Okay, we're going to move on with the show then. So thank you very much, Mark. I'm going to let you head off, and we'll post all of the, the links related to Lavehammer and what's going on on the Saturday uh, up on the website we're planning on now featuring a little showcase of the different Bab. activities that are going on we're, we're going to feature a little bit of the the activities that are going on yeah. at, at lexicon um every week and that will give everybody a, a, an opportunity to see you know the, the sort of different stuff i think karen is currently just finishing 
the the timetable of events at the moment so hopefully we'll get a little bit more on that up uh in the next few days so that should be good now it's brilliant mark um thank you so much and uh okay so let's move on to the community corner um and we just have a little bit of time left to go through some stuff so one of the things that you've linked up here ben is the excellent presentation document on powerplay who's produced that um, I think somebody did actually work it out, but when I asked Drew, because it was actually Drew who linked it to me, sure. uh, Drew didn't know, but I think somebody did have it. Let me just take that information out, because well, you've caught me totally flat-footed. I think, I think <laughs> is, is this the one that I, I created a tiny URL for one of them, which was uh, com forward slash edpowerplay, and I'm not sure that's the same one that you're talking about. Well, it, it's what it's got is, and you know, and I've got it up on the screen here. It's got this excellent sort of cross section of the different characters that introduces them, and yeah, you know, it's it's just a really brilliant uh, sort of guides to what they are all doing, what they're interested in, and so on and so forth. Is it the one that's got the flow charts? Um, and I, uh, yeah, I think I think it possibly had flow charts in it. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to link it up, but unfortunately Ben's got his cursor on it. So I'm it's by Commander Barking Mad. Well, uh, yeah, okay. In which case, I was speaking to Barking Mad today uh, regarding uh-huh. if we, it was okay for us to sort of highlight this on the show and to give out that link, which is tinyurl.com forward slash ed powerplay. And okay. it is designed and laid out by Barking Mad, but he is you know, very insistent that we make sure that we do mention all the people that have played a part in it. We've got Faction and Power History, which is collated by Commander Kalo Tavira. The Power Grids were by Commander Whalen. Uh, Power Vector Graphics by Commander Spytech. And the Power Flows were by Barking Mad JK2L and Commander John Casey. So they all deserve a huge thanks because it's a very palatable... Yeah introduction to it's a lovely done isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely brilliantly done you know it uh it really does give a good sense of uh of all of the different aspects that um that you were talking about earlier grant um so yeah so no well done to all of them and um i love the fact that it sort of flips through as well you know you go through the slides and everything else it's uh it's great really really good okay so uh moving on then we have We've got the collection of posts on the Reddit thread, which I think is quite interesting. You've got you've linked these here, Ben. In terms of them being a primer, I, I'm assuming that's uh, people's hints and tips and bits and pieces. Is it? Ah, oh, yeah, it's basically it's a collection of other posts that folk have done about sure. what things are what in in power play. So, mm-hmm. for example, one that I was having a look at was the faction-specific weapons, which on unlock at rank 3 and 4, which is giving mm-hmm. us nice little things like a pacifier frag cannon or the imperial hammer. Okay. I'm, um, I'm, I'm sure Mark would probably like the imperial hammer. That seems to work. <laughs> I thought, uh, isn't, that a, isn't that a 40k weapon? Uh, a war hammer is, is a... <laughs> yes, but the imperials... <laughs> They're, they're, they're also in <laughs> Warhammer Fantasy 2. Okay. Um, okay, so, yeah, no, I mean, obviously the, the collection of posts and, and, and stuff. And, and it's nice to see that people are sharing tips. And I think we've talked a little bit before about the fact that the Reddit community has become a very, very positive guide towards, you know, emerging play, towards getting people um, 
up to speed, you know, if they don't necessarily know what they're doing and everything else. Um, I think the Reddit community has been excellent, to, you know, to kind of start that. I should probably go on there because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, um, that's oh, really you know, good about it is they've also got um, sp- oh, faction-specific or power-specific subreddits. So if you're supporting Fel- Felicia Winters, there is actually a Elite Winters subreddit okay. to help coordinate with all the other guys and girls who are in her power. Okay, excellent. All right. Um, so then we we move on. There's there's one or two. I mean, obviously the one or two updates have have happened with the uh, um, power play. Anyway, I think I think we've had an update this evening. I certainly thought there was a, a small update. I could be wrong. Could be that I was just updating from the the old one. But then, have we got any questions? Um, I've got one here that you've you've put on here from Commander Magcow. Obviously, um, some relation of grants. Um, a lesser relation. Uh, still loving the show, guys. Still loving the mix of content you push out every week. Looking forward to Lavecom. Brought my boy and my uh, tickets for his birthday. Excuse, uh, excuse to get there on birthday weekend. Oh, that'd be great. You know, that's that's exactly the place you want to be. Um, so with 1.3 last Friday, I was gutted to find out I missed out on the overinflated trade price for slaves. Can you guys tell me what your best cash cows? You have to tell me where. Uh, yeah, what what your best cash cows were? Mine before 1.3 was 1.3. Uh, uh, K, so thirteen hundred credits per ton. Guys, best cash cows. I still revert back to my old favourite Palladium and Imperial slaves. The Imperial slaves is not a great profit in the other direction, but it's a one system jump. So in one direction, I get one and a half thousand between sort of well fifteen hundred mm. and sixteen hundred credits per ton in one direction, and in my T nine that's five hundred, so that's not bad in tons. And on the way back, I get about six hundred to down to three hundred. <laughs> per ton okay. profit but that's about a million each run I know that somebody just recently one of our colleague, in fact I think it might be Fozza has landed himself on a an, an average of 2,200 wow, okay Ben? yeah I found some, I found a few places which similar to Grant that maybe it's 1,600 per ton one way and then 600 to 400, 600 maybe in the return route. Um, I found things all over the galaxy, frankly, you know, and some near LHS 3447, others near Galice 550, uh, others HR 494, I think, as Grant was saying, weren't you? Well, I, yeah, for me, I mean, obviously it's been a while since I've played, but um, when I was still doing the trade runs um you know i was still trade running with with the cobra actually and i was trade running with a hauler um or was it lake on six i think it was lake on six um up and around lave one of the things i was getting a lot of was the um the trade missions where they basically would say we're desperate for x number of tons of this right now and so essentially i'd pick up multiples of those missions in which case they'd been they were asking for like nine tons of gold and it took me a while and this you know you're gonna laugh but it took me a while to figure out the the trade dependency screens you know the ones where you could work out where everything's coming from uh, so uh so essentially it until i figured that out I, I was basically it was running around everywhere cursing because nobody seemed to have these particular commodities but once i figured that out 
actually you could you know you could very quickly make a killing on one of those missions which was excellent so you know 200,000 credits for nine tons of gold was not bad at all i'll have that you know sounds fine and of course obviously you've got the outlay so you've got to get it in a system where they've actually got some gold and you can get it fairly cheap but it was you know it was getting a good good return in that regard and if you already had a trade run anyway and you had a fairly big hold you could kind of pick up a load of those small missions and sort of continue doing your staple alongside it like you were saying grant palladium you know it was that was usual my usual staple uh, i switched to palladium after i realized that i was going to make more on it than i was going to make on gold so so yeah was it palladium or platinum that Fozza thought was worthless it was palladium ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him about you know nine thousand credits a ton isn't it hey ho well certainly that's that's what i remember i could be wrong all right so um do we have any other questions on twitter and on facebook gentlemen i've not seen any i'm having a quick look the only one we got was that one that we got by email we had one by email oh yeah yeah we did didn't we let's have a quick butchers at that i think that was the one i actually that was the one that i posted into you guys that you've just okay question for tonight okay yep yep it was indeed so so that's all fine so we appear to have have covered that um there was another one in there in the email um we had from patrick mass and from um uh from from one or two other people have mentioned it the the matter of the new kickstarter tribute to fox uh to uh to spock um the idea that there is going to i think it's somebody as posted up to try and put together a documentary film related to to spock the character um spock doc <laughs> um nice idea and it's actually it's adam nimoy that uh, that has has put this up um now i don't know if he's a relation i'm sure there is more information in uh what's here there you go uh, i'm pulling it all up i'm just literally talking to you about it as as we're you know reading it as we're talking about it looks like it is a relation possibly Leonard Nimoy's son I don't know um uh so yeah worth checking out worth finding out more than I actually know there you go yes it is it says on the first line last year before Thanksgiving I approached my dad Leonard Nimoy about the possibility of working together on a film about Mr Spock and skimmed through some of the books on the making of Star Trek and felt there was much more to explore about the birth and evolution of Spock, and at the time, it seemed as the time seemed right. As the anniversary of Star Trek, the original series, was 50 years and not that far away. Dad agreed that was the right time, and he was 100% committed, and I uh, also reminded me uh, they were just days away from the 50th anniversary of the start of production on The Cage, the original pilot, um, and so he's launched Kickstarter. Uh, he's got 22 days to go, he's looking for £600,000, he's managed to get nearly £200,000, I should say dollars, substitute the word dollars for pounds, please. Um, yeah, so they've got 22 days left. So hopefully that will that will fly. Um, would be you know would be really amazing to to see something like that. And um, you know I think any Star Trek fans anywhere should uh, uh, go have a look. You know see if it uh, see if it interests you. Hopefully we won't give them the live radio Kickstarter of death then. By re- <laughs> well, by rec- recommending them and having them fail. Well, I I think that's you know I think that's that's obviously only a new thing. Um, certainly if I recommend them, then I think that, that they probably won't. <laughs> well, you should hope. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, I mean, that's, uh, you know, we, we, we wish them, we wish them every success as we do with every Kickstarter that we highlight here. And, um, and hopefully they'll get a, a chance to, to put that documentary together. 
Um, we should say as well, Uncle Art's Kickstarter is kicked off uh, or kicks off again tomorrow, and that's the orchestral re-recording of Frontier. That's uh, their reboot of the Kickstarter that got so close last time. Hopefully, they can uh, they can drag it over the line this time. But we'll we'll see what happens, and obviously, we'll be monitoring that carefully. Um, we may also feature some of the adverts and other bits and pieces that we've got on the stream as we did before. Now, other news, uh, and I think you've just typed this in quickly, haven't you, Grant? Um, that HSC voice packs are now revealed that Brian Blessed has signed up to record a voice pack for Voice Attack, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, sounds sounds amazing. Um, don't heckle Brian Blessed. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have remember me giving that advice before on one of the late radio uh, yes, podcasts. We did, yes, we did. Yeah, I can, yeah. I can just picture it now, though, you know, landing gear deployed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're probably not picturing it, you're probably sounding it, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. We should say at this stage, and I'm, I'm going to be blunt in this and, you know, call out a little bit of tardiness. The late radio team have been approached to do voice packs for this. We contacted Frontier and asked Frontier whether we, you know, whether this was permissible, and we've yet to receive a reply. Now, that was about three and a half months ago, perhaps more. So, um, unfortunately, we can't do anything because, you know, we're still waiting on Frontier to actually tell us whether we're allowed to or not. It appears that everybody else is allowed to, so I would assume that we are. I guess, Grant, what do you think? Assume we, we, we are allowed to do that if everybody else is doing it. Permission to do a voice pack granted. Yeah, if if, <laughs> if if Brian Blessed's doing it, then I guess we're you know I guess we're allowed now. So um, I will probably chase that email one more time, but uh, I would assume then that uh, if members of the crew want to do voice packs, then they probably can. Although saying that, I think only you know a Commander Thane voice pack would probably be pretty cool. Maybe a second tech voice pack might be quite cool. I'm not sure. Station Commander Stroud would be very cool at all. I don't think anybody would want to listen to me telling them how to deploy their landing gear or anything, because I don't know. Um, well, it's not as if we're not going to be able to shout and maybe even hit people wearing helmets at the uh, beginning of July. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, we do have Artemis, which um, hopefully we'll have uh, John Richardson on uh, in the next mm. few weeks just to explain what's going to go on with Artemis at LaveCon, which would be very interesting. That, of course, you know, one of the other activities we've got, uh, which will be very cool. Okay, so let's move down the list, gentlemen, and we're into the final straight. So, shout-outs, in-game commanders, you've got a nice list for me here. Um, who, who wants to take a stab at these? I'll take a stab of them. So, hey to everyone who's been hanging out with me, and I think Alan's been here, although he's been hiding in a docking bay outside a live station in open. We've got Commander Yashara... Archimbaust, Erasmus Boone, Hardcore Porn, uh, Sutherland Lane, Amarok 73, Nightmare, Dissington, uh, Lodvar, Martin, Nexus Rejects, Alarm, Tom Sloman, Bathster, and Snevis, and I know that oh Goose4291 is saying this is his last ever, lab- well, not his last ever, hopefully, his last live lay radio for a while, because he's going back into the army next week. Oh, well, we wish him well, and um, hopefully, you know, things will go well for him, and he'll be able to come back and see us uh, when he when his tour has, uh, you know, has ended. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, good luck to you, Goose, and um, hopefully we'll catch you on the other side. I'm w- certainly going to miss him. 
Yeah, I want to do something that's it's, it's probably a very American thing to do, but I, I really think it's one thing that the Americans do right, and that is Goose, thanks for your service. Here, here, definitely. Absolutely. No, I think I think you're right. And, um, yeah, we're, as I say, we wish you well, and um, hopefully you'll be back with us. Yeah, and hopefully you'll be back with us fairly soon and uh, we can take you out uh, around space somewhere that you haven't been before. Although he's been everywhere and I, you know, I've been nowhere, so I won't know anything. <laughs> okay, so that about covers the majority of stuff here. So I'm just going to say that, uh, you know, episode 65, it's been an education, gentlemen. I've not been on for a while. Do remember as well, Data Slate broadcast on Sunday in which John Richardson and I will be talking a little bit about the latest book reviews and other bits and pieces. We've got a really, really interesting show because there's been a lot of interesting news in the wider world of science fiction uh, writing and science fiction literature in the last week, particularly with the Nebulas and the other stuff. So, yeah, do join us. 8pm BST on Sunday night. We'll be there. There'll be you know, a good hour-long show, and uh, you can go through all of that. Other than that, if you want to get in touch with us here, you can email info at Live Radio. You can catch us on Facebook slash Lave Radio. You can get us at Lave Radio on Twitter. You can join the Skype chat channel by adding Fozza101 to your Skype contacts and hang out with all the people who are over on there. Uh, you can join our TeamSpeak server where commanders come to hang out and chat, and that's laveradio.teamspeak3.com. So thank you to everybody that's outside, uh, outside Lave Station. I'm afraid I'm a terrible coward and i'm not going to join you thank you to everyone who's given us more information on power play certainly grant i think that uh, you've given me such a comprehensive explanation my mind is a whirl with the facts and figures of what might happen in this game but the lovely thing is of course is it's optional so you know you can kind of dip in and out as we want to and yeah thanks to everybody that's choosing to listen so enjoy the rest of your evening fly safe and if you can't do that fly dangerous Two seconds, I'll be right back.